You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. The day will come when the whole machinery of history will be slipped into high gear to run its fatal course to judgment. Listen, gang, you can be sure that the curtain is ready to be drawn back and everything that is recorded and written in this book of the Bible will pass away quite quickly. Are you prepared? Well, this book and the study of it will help you to be prepared. As Jesus' second coming approaches, times are only going to get harder. For those of us who've placed our trust in Him, we will face persecution and more than just light mockery or ridicule. It's going to get very bad before it gets better. That can be a scary prospect. Nobody wants to endure physical pain or the rejection of friends and family. But as Pastor Mike will encourage us in today's message, as hard as things might get, you can have hope and joy in the promises of Christ. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Revelation of Christ. Let's talk about the order. Let's go back to verses 1 and 2, and let's talk about the order of how this revelation came to us. And I think that this is important to, uh, to consider as well. So here is the order of things. And this brings us to our fourth point, and that is the root by which the revelation came to us. Notice, first of all, we are told in verse 1 that the Father gave it to the Son. Do you see that? Do you see that there in the first part of verse 1? In other words, showing him, God the Father, showing him, the Son, the glory that should be revealed. Now the Bible says, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And I think to some extent, revelation is that joy that was set before Jesus. And as the Father showed him the place that he would occupy in the ages to come. A king ruling over a restored world and a righteous people who love him. Now, someone might say, or be thinking at this point, wait a second, isn't he God? Isn't he equal with God the Father? Doesn't he know all things? Yes, but, but remember, in his humanity, during the time in which he was 
walking upon the face of the earth, he limited himself. It was a choice that he made, but now he knows all things. Like, for example, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, in verse 32, it says, but of that day and hour, and he's referring to the rapture of the church here in context, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So do you see that he limited himself in his humanity when he walked upon the face of the earth? But that was a choice that he made. But now, presently, I want you to understand that he knows all things. And again, I want you to consider this whole as a part of the revelation. It came from the Father, who in turn gave it to his Son. But then notice also in turn, under the same heading, Jesus then gave the revelation to his angel. Now, who is this angel? Well, we're not, we're not given the identity of the angel, but I suspect it was probably Gabriel. Now, how, why would I come to that conclusion? Well, I mean, think about it. As it related to the first coming of Christ, it seemed as if Gabriel was given charge of seeing to all of the affairs of his first coming. So it may possibly be that he had been given and commissioned by God the affairs concerning Christ's second coming. So we really don't know. But we do know that the angels of God have these different administrations and ranks and callings and occupations and such, and that was the case with uh, Gabriel. And uh, he saw to the affairs of Christ's first coming. Whereas like Michael the archangel was a warrior, warrior angel, angel. Remember, he fought through on behalf of Daniel uh, to bring to him the prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ and the things of the future. Remember, and the, the devil withstood him. And uh, remember the warfare that was going on between Michael, if, you, if, if you're familiar with the book of, of Daniel. Michael is sort of like a warring kind of an angel, whereas Gabriel is more like the you know, commissioned by God for specific tasks and re- the revealing of things. And uh, so they have different administrations, different ranks, different callings, different occupations. So Jesus, in turn, gave this revelation to his angel. Again, we're not quite sure, it may may have been uh, Gabriel, who then, in turn, brought it to John, who is the recorder of this book of the Bible. You know, it would be absolutely wrong to suggest that John wrote this book of the Bible. He wasn't really the writer. He was more of the recorder. Because remember, God gave to him this revelation. It was handed down in this order that we're considering right now to John. So John was more of a recorder than he was a writer. So this angel, in turn, brought it unto John. Now, how did that happen? Well, through various appearances, as we will see. Like, for example, uh, We're about to be told, we're not going to get into it this morning. Again, as I mentioned before, we're going to really tear into this book of the Bible. Before we complete it, you'll have it, you'll know it like the back of your hand. It's it's really not hard to understand when it's communicated the way that it needs to be communicated. But like, for example, in appearance, uh, we are told, we're not going to get into it uh, this morning, we'll get into it next time, but I'll just give you a little brief, in advance kind of a, preview of what's going on. John, which was his custom 
on the Lord's day, gave himself to worshiping the Lord. And as he's worshiping the Lord from behind, he hears the sound like an unto a trumpet. And he turns in the direction of where the sound came, and all of a sudden he sees the menorah. He sees the seven golden candlesticks, which represents the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it represents the church. And standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks is, guess who? Jesus. And he's clothed in the garments of the high priest. But what's significant about that, he's standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. In the Old Testament dispensation, he's standing in the midst of the nation of Israel. In the New Testament dispensation, he's standing in the midst of his church, scrutinizing everything that's going on, concerned about everything that's going on, right down to the very letter, letter you see. And uh, his eyes are piercing. He, it, it, it's a great description, right? And so that's just one of the appearances uh, of Christ here in the book of Revelation. So this is just some, one of the ways that this was handed down to John, who is the recorder of this book of the Bible. Appearances, visions, audible instructions. God spoke to him audibly, etc. All of the explanations that we're going to be going through. We'll pass along to you this morning, uh, over the next couple of months. So John, rather, is the faithful recorder. So think of him in that way, but not the writer, really. Okay? The Holy Spirit is actually the writer. But, you know, it, actually, it's, you know, if you think about it, the Holy Spirit is the writer of every, all of the books of the Bible, right? But more so here in the book of Revelation. So John is the faithful recorder, writing the things he saw and heard as dictated to him. You know, there's an interesting verse of Scripture. It's in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, in verse 1. Pastor Jose, maybe you can pull this up for me. Hebrews chapter 1. In verses 1 and 2, actually. It's, and, and it talks about the variety of different ways that God communicates to man. And, of course, God communicates to man through his word, through the scriptures, which just simply makes a lot of sense, right? And, uh, you know, this would be a, a great uh, way and, and course of reasoning when you're trying to reason with someone about the, the reality of God and his word and the importance of it, you know, just sort of like in your conversation. Okay, listen, if there is a God, and I believe that there is a God, okay, you'd be, you'd be sharing some, something along these lines. Well, then if there is a God, wouldn't it be reasonable that God created us, that he would want to communicate to us? How does God communicate to us? He communicates to us through the written word. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. If there is a God and God created us, then certainly he created us for a reason and a purpose, and therefore it would seem also reasonable that he would want to uh, speak to us. And how does he speak to us? Well, a variety of different ways, but more than any other way, I believe it's through the scriptures, right? And uh, so I think it just validates that, that claim. So in Hebrews chapter 1, in verses 1 and 2, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So really, if you think about it, you know, apart from Jesus Christ, God the Father has nothing more to say to mankind. Right? I mean, it's, everything is just bound up in, in, in Christ. 
And there's really nothing more that God the Father has to say. But anyway, this is just another way that God communicated to John and through these revelations, okay? Okay, so with that said, so John is the faithful recorder. Now, I want to focus in on the word servant. Go back to our text here. Notice there in verse 1, it says, He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Now, this is significant. God gave him to show to his servants. The word servant in the Greek language is the Greek word doulos, and it means much more than just a servant, but it rather means, and if you're taking notes, this is important, you should probably write this down, a yielded servant. A yielded servant. Because, in contrast, there are some servants that can be lazy. There are some servants that could be rebellious. There are some servants that can be disconnected. I hope that you wouldn't fall into any of those categories, but not the doulos. The doulos can also be translated bond slave. Now, also, this is significant. Let me give you some background. This was an individual, the doulos or the bond slave, was an individual who during the days of Jubilee where all the slaves in Israel were liberated, chose to remain a slave because of his love for his master. He considered it a delightful bondage, and therefore he gave himself to his master forever. Now that's the kind of relationship that we should have with our Lord. We are bond slaves of Jesus Christ, and what a delightful bondage it is, right? Paul often refers to himself as the doulos of Jesus Christ, the bond slave of Jesus Christ. It's a delightful bondage, right? You know, so many people are, the, are bond slaves of the devil, right? And, uh, and, you know, their end is destruction. And it's not good, right? It's not pleasant. But uh, we're so thankful, right, that we have this kind of a relationship with the Lord. So these yielded servants, it's passed down in the order, to, finally, to the yielded servants, And I hope that's exactly who you are. So this book, therefore, is given to them, is received by them, is understood by them. But the prerequisite is what? You have to be a yielded servant. So you'll you'll grasp everything that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months. No problem. It's not going to go right over your head. You'll grasp it. You'll understand it. You'll become one with it. It'll become a blessing to you. It'll alter the way that you live your lifestyle. So those people who think and avoid the book of Revelation because they think it's just, you know, something that was added on, it's just gibberish, I don't think so. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 put it this way. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of of God. And so a yielded servant is someone who will go to God with an open and yielded heart, asking him to cleanse his sin and give him understanding. And so if we approach it in that way, you can be sure that you're going to receive of the Lord. You'll receive the special blessing that's attached to this book. And that person, a simple believer, no matter where you are in your experience with the Lord, whether you're a brand new Christian, a babe in Christ, or the senior pastor of the church, right? 
that person hold of all of its instruction. Listen, John himself was such a servant. He was yielded. And notice there's no mention of his apostleship here. He just, it's, he's just referred to and recommended to us as a servant. It doesn't say the apostle John, although he was, right? But it doesn't refer to him. It doesn't appeal to him in that way. It doesn't mention his apostleship. Just simply a servant. A servant was his only credentials. And I thought, you know, I, I love that. I, I just love that. And uh, God help us that that would be our credentials as well. I'm just a servant, a humble servant of the Lord. John the disciple, whom Jesus loved, the Bible tells us. The one who leaned on his bosom at the Last Supper. You know, by the way, at that time, just a little bit of trivia. John was 19 years old when he attended that Last Supper in the upper room. But now it's some 60 years later when he received this revelation. He's in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And just prior to this, by the way, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, he was taken by the Roman authorities and they tried to put him to death, but God miraculously saved him. They tried to put him to death by boiling him in oil. I don't know if you knew that or not. And God miraculously saved him. And so they didn't know what to do with him. So what did they do with him? They exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. But that wasn't the end of uh, John. And so he receives this revelation when he's in exile on Patmos. He's an old man. But praise God, he's still walking with the Lord. In spite of all of what he had gone through. Think about that. Man, you know, if they tried to boil me in oil, I don't... Man. Right? Tradition tells us a beautiful story about John. You want to hear it? When he had become a feeble old man, too feeble to go out preaching, he was carried in a chair from place to place among the churches of Asia Minor, everywhere lifting up his hands in blessing and exhortation, saying, little children, little children, love one another. Listen, his gospel, think about it. His gospel, the gospel according to John, and his epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, are filled with the warmest love of God and mercy, aren't they? It was given to this yielded servant to make known the future events that are to come upon the earth. Now, one last thing. I want you to go back to our text and take a look at and consider the phrase Notice there in verse 1, shortly come to pass. Do you see that? Shortly come to pass or shortly take place. It's all according to what translation you're reading out of. It can more literally be translated, what must speedily happen. Shortly refers to rapidity of execution. That is, once there is a beginning. So the idea here is, in other words, the events of this book are to take place within a brief period of time. Once they begin, now someone may be thinking, well, you know, it's, almost, it's been like 2,000 years almost, right? You know, come on, it's like, uh, how long has it been? But remember, with God, a hundred years is as a day. You know, someone said, and I quote, the mills of God may grind slowly, but the day will come when the whole machinery of history 
will be slipped into high gear to run its fatal course to judgment. Listen, gang, you can be sure that the curtain is ready to be drawn back and everything that is recorded and written in this book of the Bible will pass away quite quickly. Are you prepared? Well, this book and the study of it will help you to be prepared. Now, next time together, we're going to begin to get into the letters, the seven letters to the seven churches. And I just want to again give you a little preview, you know, create a buzz, a little bit of interest, make sure that you get back here. But these seven epistles that are written to the seven churches, it was a couple of years ago, I I did a whole series on the seven letters to the seven churches. And without going into the whole book of, of Revelation. So we're going to take each one of those churches in their order, and we're going to talk about things concerning those seven churches. For example, first of all, and I'll make mention of this, there were seven churches that actually existed during John's day. In fact, John, in some cases, was uh, responsible for the establishing, or at least the encouraging, of those churches. So there were churches that actually existed when this book of Revelation was given to John. Secondly, they were seven, uh, then also it was considered that they represent, each one of these churches, the seven churches, represent seven basic divisions of church history, beginning with the apostolic age, and then lastly, the age in which we live, or the present or the last days church. So the apostolic church, the last days church, and everything in between. And we'll talk about those uh, basic divisions of church history. Thirdly, they also, it has been suggested, represent seven types of churches that exist today. And as we go through these seven churches, you know, you'll see in these letters, Jesus either brings certain indictments against these churches, or he commends these churches. And so there were certain characteristics about each one of those churches. And as we go through it, you'll identify, I'm sure that you'll identify and say, hey, wow, that's the church that I used to attend. And that's why I'm not attending it anymore, by the way. Or this is the church that I'm attending presently, if it's a, if it's a commendation, and I hope it is. But again, you know, if, if, if there's an indictment against us, we'll, we'll correct it. That's, that's the purpose in, in, in you know, considering and examining these, these uh, letters to the seven churches. And then lastly, seven characteristics that can exist in any church, but more importantly, characteristics that can exist in any Christian. And so therein lies the value of studying these seven letters to the seven churches. And so we'll get into it next time. So you interested? All right, so you got to come back here next time. Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be The book of Revelation is filled with symbols and numbers and pictures that seem beyond comprehension. Yet each one has a purpose and meaning. This book takes you into the end of the world time when Jesus will return to redeem the earth and rid it once and for all of evil. It's a time that may be sooner than you think. 
And that's why we're so glad you joined us today to study this important final book of the Bible on In My Father's House. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series in Revelation, or if you want to explore Pastor Mike's studies in the other books of the Bible, just visit harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified each time we post a new edition of the show. We want to meet you too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you. You are a valued listener, and we're grateful to have you tuned in to learn about the love of God from the pages of Scripture. With that, our time with you is coming to an end. Join us next time for another edition of In My Father's House. There's a place for